Welcome to the latest in our series of podcasts looking at the approach of global financial regulators to non-financial misconduct and whistleblowing. I'm Sarah Cody, counsel in Linklater's financial regulatory practice focusing on contentious regulatory work. Hello, I'm Liz Dowd, counsel on our financial regulatory team. This series of podcasts builds on our publication last March, reviewing the role non-financial misconduct is playing in the assessment of the suitability of individuals to work in financial services. Our review is available on the Linklater's website and a link attached to the link to this podcast. It addresses a position in 12 key financial centres across the world and should be of interest to people in senior management positions, legal and compliance teams, and anyone with responsibility for whistleblowing programmes. Today, we're going to look at a recent joint FCA, PRA and Bank of England discussion paper on their plans to monitor, track and improve diversity and inclusion in regulated firms. So this paper was published in early July and it triggered a consultation period that closed on the 30th of September 2021. So Liz, obviously we've seen a lot of focus in recent years and in the past year in particular on diversity and inclusion within organisations generally. And we know that fostering a culture that encourages DNI and enables this to flourish is overall a good thing. But why have the FCA, the PRA and the Bank of England decided that this is something that requires their specific attention from a regulatory perspective? The three regulators draw a direct link between diversity in all senses of senior management and improved decision-making within firms and customer outcomes. Strong DNI cultures have been found to promote better decisions, increase financial stability, improve safety and soundness, and spark greater innovation. Boards with members who exhibit diverse characteristics are less likely to fall victim to groupthink. Greater diversity also enables firms to better understand and meet the needs of a diverse customer base. From a risk management perspective, inclusivity empowers individuals with diverse characteristics and backgrounds to challenge decisions and fosters an environment of psychological safety in which open discussion and debate can occur. So this sounds a lot to me like the kinds of argument the FCA in particular made when it was first focusing on non-financial misconduct and going back further when the SMCR was introduced. It's this idea that there's a link between poor conduct on the part of individuals in the broadest sense and failings at an organizational level. I think that is one aspect of the proposals, but the DNI paper is significantly broader than this. You're right that individual conduct has been the subject of a lot of regulatory attention in recent years with the introduction of the SMCR, as you mentioned, and the renewed focus on existing obligations to act with integrity, which were pushed up the regulatory agenda in the wake of growing societal pressure to tackle non-financial misconduct. But there is a broader issue here around the way in which firms take decisions and interact with customers at an organizational as well as individual level. The submission of DNI to regulatory scrutiny is a key part of ensuring that higher standards are met. The three regulators recognize the link between subjecting an area like DNI to regulatory scrutiny and the priority given to it within firms. It is intended to drive faster and more constant progress in this area. Elevating DNI to a topic on which supervisors will focus during their discussions with firms demonstrates the significant role the three regulators feel this area can play in raising standards across the industry. So it sounds to me like there really is a growing regulatory imperative for firms to manage and promote diversity and inclusion effectively, and that firms that fail to make and evidence this kind of progress will potentially face enhanced supervisory scrutiny and potential regulatory action. DNI is going to become a clear regulatory risk issue. How you manage it as a firm will be as much of interest to the FCA and PRA as any of the more established drivers of risk. The regulators are signaling here that at some point we will get regulatory rules on this and these will be enforced against. So looking at the paper itself, it sets out a wide range of policy options across a range of topics, including the tone from the top. So this idea that you set targets for board composition and also board succession planning. 
um, individual accountability, so expressly folding DNI into certain SMCR requirements, firm-wide policies and practices linking progress on DNI to remuneration and ensuring that remuneration policies themselves don't lead to discrimination, requiring firms to develop and publish DNI policies, progressing diverse representation, so setting targets for senior management and the wider employee population, and finally around disclosures, so introducing mandatory disclosures related to DNI. Many of the proposals seek to build on existing supervisory structures such as SMCR, although the regulators recognize that there may be challenges with applying them across all regulated firms. The discussion paper stresses that proportionality will be applied and the regulators are not seeking to take a one-size-fits-all approach. However, the paper has little to say about how this might be done in practice. In fact, overall, the paper talks a lot about what firms should be doing, but little about how. There are real practical challenges in deploying and really embedding a DNI culture across the firm from top to bottom and holding people to account on this. It's relatively easy to set targets, but harder to educate people about why you think meeting it is important and then actually making sure you meet it. So one area where I think there is going to be particularly acute concern is in international institutions. So if you think about a firm where there's a head office overseas, which is setting different rules that reflect different cultural norms, perhaps, that UK-based entity is somehow going to have to navigate any divergence so that it meets UK regulatory expectations and the head office's expectations. And I think there's also a risk of being tokenistic and in drawing up a system which is focused on just ticking a box without really moving the dial on the actual culture of an organization, which it strikes me as a much more difficult thing to do. So building trust within an organization and educating people about DNI is is slow and difficult work. I think that comes to a head when you think about reporting. The more prescriptive you are, the greater the risk that this becomes a box-ticking exercise for firms. Resource becomes focused on filling out forms rather than planning policy and delivering actual change. That said, financial services firms will be at different stages on their D&I journeys. Those who have yet to really engage with the issue might find a more prescriptive list of questions useful as a framework for the types of questions they should be asking themselves as an organization. So one size really won't fit all here. And it sounds like a flexible approach on the part of the regulator is going to be useful for firms as they each move forward on their own individual journeys with this. I think that's right, Sarah. So moving on, given the focus of this podcast series is non-financial misconduct, the paper states that the FCA is considering the role DNI issues could play in the assessment of individuals under the FMCR, noting that it has found individuals not to be fit and proper on the basis of other so-called non-financial misconduct. That's right. And I thought it was interesting that the paper explicitly draws a link between behaviors around DNI and non-financial misconduct. So it's suggesting that bullying or harassment based on protective characteristics would be factors that could be taken into account, for example. So I think there's clearly a lot of overlap between the two concepts and positioning them both like this in the discussion paper is, I think, uh, you know, an acknowledgement of this by the regulators. In a lot of ways, they are pretty much two sides of the same coin. I think they are. And I think it was encouraging to see the paper acknowledge the continuing uncertainty around what actually constitutes non-financial misconduct and to offer to develop guidance on the types of behavior constituting NFM and when this might be considered to be a conduct rule breach rather than just simply relevant to fitness and propriety. Which has always seemed like the easier home for concerns around non-financial misconduct in this context. It is relatively easy to see how they might factor into an assessment of fitness and propriety. One of the themes we drew out in our report was the growing trend globally towards this, broadening the scope of what type of conduct is considered in an S&P context. 
But in the context of UK's SMCR, it is not as immediately clear how and when this type of conduct might also constitute a conduct rules breach. So I think the FCA in particular can provide some clarity around here. It would be very much welcomed by firms. Yeah, and I think specific guidance would hopefully eliminate some of the confusion we've seen over what constitutes NFM and how to deal with it from a regulatory perspective, particularly when behavior doesn't relate directly to an individual's role, but has a potential impact on the conduct or culture of a team or the wider organization. And obviously, the French decision that came out quite recently by the upper tribunal sort of feeds into this debate. And we have seen firms taking different approaches here. So any clarity that the FCA can give on the thinking would be helpful. That is something that's brought in the sharp focus on our matters in areas like regulatory references, where conduct that one firm might add to a regulatory reference is disregarded by another, introducing elements of inconsistency. And I think the focus in the discussion paper on building inclusivity would suggest that as well as addressing allegations of bullying and sexual harassment, for example, the regulators will expect firms to be proactive in tackling more subtle examples of non-inclusive behavior. Now, this is just a discussion paper, so lots of the detail remain to be seen. Based on what we've seen so far, Liz, what should firms be particularly aware of? Data collection around DNI is likely to be a challenge. Individuals can be unwilling to disclose this type of personal information about themselves, and that unwillingness could itself be a signal that some employees lack psychological safety or that there are broader cultural issues within an organization. That said, a regulator can't assess a firm on the basis of data that does not exist. So there are going to be some interesting practical issues to iron out. And I think the regulators know this, which is perhaps why they have proposed this one-off voluntary pilot data request in the autumn that will seek to understand what firms are already collecting in terms of DNI data by way of aggregated and anonymized data and how they're doing this and the potential difficulties that they might face going forward here. The DP isn't clear about the timing and nature of the pilot, which I don't think is particularly helpful. Smaller firms will also be concerned about the compliance burden here. There are some real issues in smaller organizations around anonymizing data and ensuring that people are not identifiable in order to remain GDPR compliant. A lot of the information the regulators want to gather would absolutely be covered by that regime. Larger firms may already be tracking a lot of these types of data and looking at issues like board constitution and decision making through DNI lens. Going forward, the regulators are considering data collection, which may require firms to reach out to staff and collect data on all of the protected characteristics and socioeconomic backgrounds that they don't already collect. Collections would seek to distinguish between diversity and inclusion at different levels of the firm and would be a mixture of demographic diversity, but also collecting information regarding diversity targets, inclusion practices, and progress against objectives. The regulators are interested in understanding what data they could monitor to understand whether DNI is supporting better decision making and how it impacts the development of products and services that better meet customer needs. And just picking up on that compliance burden point, because I think it's a really valid one. We recently set up within Linklaters a diversity faculty. So the faculty supports clients working towards all aspects of their diversity, inclusion priorities and objectives. And it brings together experts from our legal, DNI, HR, talent management, learning and development and social impact teams. So the faculty can help you evolve your DNI strategy and create a workplace culture that reflects your organization's core values. If you are interested, you can find further details about the faculty on our webpage covering DNI and financial services on linklatest.com. This is a new campaign page gathering together material from across the firm that will help regulated firms looking to engage with this topic. It hosts a link to the client alert on the discussion paper we've considered today, plus links to related podcasts blog posts and practice pages. And you'll find a link to the page in the show notes for this podcast. That is all we have time for today. I hope you found this discussion useful.
Thank you for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.